You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the SheLift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick and today we have Nancy Weaver joining us. Thank you so much um, for coming. I'm so excited with what we have to talk about today, but what we wrote down here, high level professor, entrepreneur, your high level expertise, but gosh, do we have more than just a minute to go through everything <laughs> that you're doing. So you're gonna hear founder a couple of times, founder and principal, strategist Weaverly LLC, founder and executive director, Support Over Silence, which love that name. We'll find out more about mm. that. You're a professor at St. Louis University. Either one of those would be a full-time job in and of themselves. So I'm tired just thinking about how you're doing all this. Um, you help businesses, schools, and communities develop and use public health programs and policies in ways that work for them, which is interesting. You're mm -hmm. about it for them, not you. You've got bachelor's degree in mathematics, master's in biostatistics, and if that's not enough, a PhD in behavioral science. Oh my Lord. <laughs> Dr. Weaver, highly skilled in transdisciplinary, I think I got the dictionary out before I read this the other night, oh, teaching, goodness. research, practice, guiding partners, basically understanding complex issues, behavior, human, how that all works together, but you're really helping businesses, parents, people, kids, all of that. Um, I think I'll stop there and let you fill in some of the rest of the stuff because it's that just overwhelming. Oh. That was perfect. I love that. <laughs> it's like social science in all sorts of ways. It's math, mm -hmm. which I would assume is probably a lot of problem solving. Is that what you pull from the math? Yeah. I. Um, so my analytic background, I think, gives me a sort of a, a scientific lens. Um, and I approach all of these social science problems with, with real rigor um, toward the scientific process. So I, I approach things very analytically, uh, methodologically. I'm a stickler for precision. Um, and yet, my PhD is in behavioral science, and I'm doing applied improvisation, and I really um, appreciate storytelling and learning with communities. Um, and I think that blend of sort of an analytic lens with a creative approach um, makes me a little, it gives me an advantage, I think, in studying problems from a variety of perspectives. So it sounds like what I hear there is rules, but also ways to <laughs> color outside the rules and break the rules a little bit. I love that. Yes, let's go with that. Exactly. <laughs> right. I, I, I like that because the, the creative sort of gives color to the to the science, I think. Um, and there's there's a science to storytelling and there's also an art to science. And I think a lot of people when they're trained tend to do one or the other or think they have to abide by a certain collection of principles or theories um and i guess i've learned along the way that we're very we're multi-dimensional people and we um i think we do ourselves a disservice when we we buttonhole people or issues into boxes and i really enjoy swirling everything together in a somewhat messy chaotic way and seeing how it makes sense 
I, I almost want to dive into your mind and understand that because you're <laughs> right. I think people are typically fall in one space or another, that black and white or, you know, everything's free flowing uh-huh. uh you know i think of flower child you know love is right. great and very few times is that married together but i bet you that's where just true innovation and profound thinking comes from i i I kind of like to think so i i think i do some of my best work when i trust in the process but also allow things to emerge that might be surprising. Like, here's an example. Um, I do a lot of work to prevent child abuse and neglect. It's sort of where I've been doing a lot of research in the past decade or more. Um, And that's kind of working with parents, you know? So how do we understand the struggle that parents have? And one approach is to say, let's look at all of the ways that parents can harm their children, and let's, let's outlaw those. Let's make policies against those things. And yet if we do that, we fail to really understand the heart of a parent and the fear of a parent and the reason that a parent might mistreat their child. And and once we kind of pull back the layers of the onions, listen to the stories, experience life with parents who are raising their children under really harsh conditions sometimes, It allows us to understand the issue more fully and more deeply and in a more grounded way that connects with those parents. And only then can we start thinking about what might be helpful for that parent. And so I I really believe firmly that you have to marry the two or else you're just going to miss something. And if you miss something, then you're putting a lot of energy into solutions that might not be the right solutions. It's bringing the human element in, yes. right? And we so often, I feel like I, what you just, everything you said there was, we wanna strip away the human and say, okay, let's define this. Let's outline what happened, where did it go wrong, and let's fix that versus right. what is all this other color outside mm-hmm. of that box right, that right. really, if we stay inside the box, try to solve it there, we're solving nothing. Yeah, we really need to get to the root of the problem five, 10, 15 layers deep to provide real time tested solutions. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good way to frame that. And I think some of it comes from our own fear and our own. Um, I mean, it's risky to sort of acknowledge the power that you have as a scientist or, you know, some finding you're going to make from culling the data. It's risky to admit and to show your own vulnerability. I, I don't know the answer. The answer is not in the data. The answer is in my ability to understand the human condition, as you say. And I'll, I'll never forget one time I was in the airport and this really brought this issue home. Um, I have three kids and I was in the airport and I'd been deep into this parenting research. And you know, I was a young professional and I, you know, I had all the answers and I was all, you know, assured that I was just marching down this path and I was in the airport with my with my children and one of my kids like darts off in the airport I was frazzled I had like the pack and play and the car seat and the diaper all this stuff right 
Now, I am probably one of the most educated people about parenting that that there is walking around in the airport, right? I mean, I, I know all the answers. I've seen all the data. I understand all the theories. Like, I've written papers and papers and papers about parenting. And that there's my kid tromping down the airport. And this woman looks at me and she goes, don't worry, I got you. She went, she helped my kid, she did the thing. And I, it, it was this moment of shared humanity that I could have all the answers in the world, but I still need this this person who is supporting me as a mom in a stressful moment. And that sort of was part of the, the story about how sort of my career trajectory shifted into thinking more deeply about how we need each other, we need connection, we need support from our communities in stressful situations. I wrote that down, I started, I'm sure I'm gonna try to remember this all the time, moment of shared humanity. I think we're, this has started in a direction that I wasn't anticipating, but I love it, that we're in an environment where it's judging versus that shared humanity and seeing it from the deeper level of somebody versus, and my husband and I laugh about this all the time. I was thinking your story, I I thought your story was gonna go one way. So he likes to talk about his dad card, right? So he can go to the grocery store. Now my kids are older now, but you know, three kids, uh, mismatched pajamas, probably with holes in the knee. Sure, Two girls, their hair. Fireman's hats, you know, right. Right. Just, you know, if you would just look at it, you would think, wow, that's a hot mess. But dad in the grocery store with his three kids, you're a hero. You're, oh my gosh, daddy and his little helpers. Right. Where, again, if I would be in that situation, more times than not, I would be judged as, wow, that she does not have her stuff together as a mom. Uh, and so it makes me think of that judgment versus shared humanity. Right. Of, like, we all have right. those moments where, like you said, you you have the intellect and the knowledge you have, <laughs> but just sometimes it doesn't life can't be scripted all the time, especially with right. kids. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The judgment piece is important. Um, so I'm a behavioral scientist. I'm a professor of public health, and so in public health, our our job is to think about why people do the things they do related to their health, and then understand solutions that might help them, either as an individual or as a community or societally or, or, you know, whatever. And I think part of that, part of that tends to be kind of judgy, you know, that with any issue, parenting or obesity or infectious diseases or whatever, whatever the health topic is we're studying, it's that we have to be cautious that we're not judging people necessarily, at the same time acknowledging that there are there are healthy behaviors and and we do have systems in place that can support those. And particularly for children, um, their brains are still growing and developing. And I think sometimes as adults, we we look at that in a in a different light. And so um, judgment is one of those key things. Nobody likes to be judged. Nobody likes the little like the one up and down or the side eye or what are you doing? And we just can't know other people's stories. And we have to approach when we help them, we have to approach that with compassion and empathy and in ways that don't sort of presume that we know their answer. Because we don't. 
Well, it's something I've learned as I've gotten older, too. We often will look back in our past or or at a younger person and judge them based on what we know, what I know at 46. <laughs> right, And how right. could I have done that at 20-something? Or how could, as a child, this has happened? Or how could society have done this 30 years ago when I'm basing it off of all the probably the science and the knowledge and the art that you're bringing to the world today, but I'm judging, well, why didn't we do that back then? That, that must have been horrible mm -hmm. people then. So that pr using right? what we know today to look back and judge, ah, fair. Right. And don't you find that the older you get, the more things you realize you probably should have healed from or done differently or brought to your family that you didn't. And there's this anxiety that starts to percolate when your kids get older because you're thinking, wait, 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 wait. I, I just... I just realized there was something I needed to teach you about emotional regulation. And I don't think I did that very well when you were a child. So can you just hang out for a little bit longer until we work that one out, you know? But you didn't know. I didn't know as a mom 10 years ago the things that I wish I would have known. And, and yet we hold ourselves accountable. You mentioned the dad card. I think we hold ourselves to this really high level of I'm a healed parent and I'm, I'm breaking trauma cycles and I'm doing all this hard emotional work in raising my children. And yet sometimes we don't even know until it's later that maybe we should have done that. So children will always be raised by imperfect parents. I mean, there's just no way around that. And so giving ourselves grace and support and compassion and repairing when we need to and connecting when they're older, um, I think is really important for moms. Otherwise, we just live in this cycle of shame and guilt and regret. And that's not a fun place for anybody. It's, oh my gosh, everything you said, it's, I'm currently in the process of going back and saying what what were the things in my life way back when that I really do think I've put behind a <laughs> a bank vault? <laughs> I've locked vault. probably like I feel like I'm put together. I feel like I'm good. Yeah. I'm okay. I've I love my family. I have a great marriage. My kids are amazing. I love what I do for a living. Um, check 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 check. And you get ten points for each check. Congratulations. How many points do I get? Yeah, I need exactly. My a plus. Exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's all arbitrary. <laughs> I almost feel like there's still there's still a tether. There's still something maybe quiet and there's a fear. I'm I'm I feel like I'm handling life well and and I'm doing well. I'm right. doing great. If I open that vault, ooh, <sighs> is that going to set me back? or is that going to and mm -hmm. you know by any means I didn't have a, you know a hor some people have horrible childhoods right. and you know none right. of that doesn't mean there's not still some things that society or whatever it might be at that time taught us that we're still holding on to yes yes and it's mm -hmm. the, f the permission to say it's okay if we're not perfectly healed and to I don't know how do we open ourselves up to how do we get there that's such a beautiful question <laughs> so let's just heal motherhood in the next 20 minutes shall we um uh, 
And that's probably not a fair question. I just loaded you up. No, I love this. I love this. I think the vault, the things we keep in the vault, we keep them there in part because we're afraid of what would happen if we opened them up. I have found that in opening up the vault, it allows me to to look at things head on. And by looking at things head on and articulating those, talking about it, verbalizing, communicating about them, I understand myself better. I understand how to regulate myself. I understand why things and situations might be challenging for me. And I model for my children how to take big scary things, make sense of them. Because the truth of the matter is, the big scary things, when you talk about them, you bring them to light, you bring them out of the vault, they're manageable, and they don't stick around very long. So I, I don't encourage people to go cracking open their vaults willy-nilly, because it's, you know, some things are in the vault that are kind of locked in there. And yet at the same time, there's more to be gained, I think, from really examining those experiences, even the traumas, even even just how your brain works. Because um, I found after I've done that, I'm able to be grounded. My nervous system can be calm. And my children need for my nervous system to be calm. They need to co-regulate with me. Children need a parent who can show them in action and in deed how how to handle those emotions and co-regulation is the way to do that so if you've got a kid who's you know temper tantruming on the ground the biggest value the biggest gift for that kid is that you're grounded and that you're calm and you're next to that child saying it's okay to have these big emotions i understand the big emotions i'm not afraid of the big emotions and i'm here to to experience that with you and i don't think well, in my experience, I think you're much better able to do that if you've cracked open your vault just a little bit. When I think about your story there, sitting next to the child saying, I've got you, I support you. And I also think about the vault being silent about our history or what might be lurking in the, I think of like dark corners and cobwebs mm. and ooh, scary <laughs> leafless trees. Which I don't know, I, well, maybe I should just ask, the support over silence, mm-hmm. is that at all related to any of that or how, what is it? How mm-hmm. did that come up? So about five years ago, uh, I was with my children and we were visiting the grandparents and we went to a, a pizza place. And I don't like pizza at all, really. And I don't like those all-you-can-eat pizza buffets where like there's fluorescent lights and pitchers of beer and 87 kinds of pizzas and the arcade is in the back and the lights are bright. And those are very overstimulating environments for me. And I just, my kids love it, parents love it. Great, we're going to have all-you-can-eat pizza. And so I think it was a Friday night And the whole place was just, you know, it's after work. There was this just energy in the room. People were letting loose. And everyone's having this great time. And kids are going back with their quarters to get the silly little prizes. And out of this, like, very joyful energy, we hear a grandmother um, yelling at her grandkids, 
screaming at them, shoving them in the booth, um, pushing them over to the to the buffet, really using angry language. You know, if if you don't eat, this is the last time you're going to have food, and I'm going. You're never going to. You're not even have breakfast tomorrow. I mean, she was really, really angry, super agitated, and the whole the whole place went from like all this happy energy, and it just got like quiet and I had that like pit in my stomach like get me out of here get me away from that because you see these two precious little girls just cowering and and shrinking into the booth and it was really emotional for I think most people and and nobody knew what to do right we're all like we're all like looking we're all just doing the whole like who's and there was this just collective like just like jaw drop you know and without thinking about it I stand up and of course my family just was like oh my you know (laughs) what what are you doing I'm like and at the moment I I had no idea I didn't know what I was gonna do and I just walk over to her booth and I don't know why but I sat down I just walked to her booth I sat down with her and her two kids and she just looked at me very strangely and not knowing what to say what came out of my mouth was it looks like you guys are struggling and as soon as I said that this woman just she just kind of softened and she talked about how her daughter had dropped the kids off early she had to take a day off from work her car was in the shop just like these these just stressors of her life just kind of erupted and came out and um we i just listened for five minutes or so um and then i just well because i'm who i am i went up and got vegetables to go with the pizza you know i'm like (laughs) have some broccoli and i brought it back to the table and i just kind of sat there um and then I left, went back to my table, and the manager came over and said, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much! Like I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do." Um, and the place just kind of came back to this happy little place. And the grandmother, they finished their meal and went about their ways. And I came back to my office. I mean, I, I'm a highly trained person, right? And I'm thinking, if I didn't know what to do, like, where are the people who know what to do here? Uh. Um, And I asked my friends, I asked my psychology friends and my pediatrician friends and my colleagues, and I said, did I do the right thing? And they said, well, we don't know. No, nobody really, no, I don't know. And so I said, well, we gotta figure that one out. (laughs) We gotta gotta know if that's the right answer or not, because that's not gonna happen to me again. That was too scary and too just, I I felt so unprepared. And so we, we went at it. We started studying the issue and doing our customer discovery and our formative research and doing all the analysis and looking at the literature. And we built a program called Supportive Silence. And so um, we now have trainers trained to provide the program. And I go out and do a lot of speaking and training on Supportive Silence and, and really integrating these ideas of like, the neurobiology of a child and what trauma and stress do to parenting and sort of going back to your original point about judgment, you know, how can we, how can we support 
that grandmother or me or whomever it is in a way that shows compassion and empathy and really speaks to our own values of wanting to help people who are in need. So that's my current gig. I've been doing support over silence, which is sort of sharing the answer to that question. What do you do? And so now we have an answer. I, when you were telling that story, I could just feel almost the tension building up in my body, right? sitting here, picturing it, thinking about it. You know, if you go over there, will you make it better? Will you make it worse? And you have potentially making it worse for those kids and the other people around. And what would you even say? And what if they get angry and throw something at you or hit you? And and so All you that. silence. All of that. All of that. So you silence, right. And when we study the issue, people say, you know, upwards of like 80% of people will say, oh, I'd really want to help. And then you ask them if they would or if they had or if they have experience of helping and 30%, uh, yeah, I said something. So there's this big discrepancy of people's value of wanting to help and their skill and ability to actually help. And without that skill and ability, what they do instead is this. What kind of mom are you? Like what, or, or, or stop, you know, or they come at it with their own level of aggression because that makes us uncomfortable, right? Like you said, like, I want this to stop happening here. Or I'm on vacation. I don't want, I don't want that at the pool when I'm on vacation. I don't want to see a mom being angry with her child when I'm trying to relax, you know? So it's, it, it's an affront to us, um, but it's also a signal to us that sort of that shared humanity piece can come first. And we can do that in a way that's really value aligned and that's also really supportive. Well, I think back to the things that we were taught, I was taught growing up, you know, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Mind your own business, don't be nosy. As you were telling that yeah. story, that's everything I'm thinking. Not right. only those things we were told, but also we were never taught, I believe probably a lot of that is learned skill. Yes. We were never taught those communication skills to dive into those difficult situations in a way, hopefully more times than not, will de-escalate right. versus escalate. Right. And if we have a shared vocabulary around that, it makes it so much easier. So I work with organizations. And if you can, if you can train everyone in an organization to have this perspective, it becomes just part of the fabric. You know, we're a place where you can come with your kids. And if your kid has a meltdown on the floor, we know exactly how to help you deal with that. And we're going to support you. We understand that kids do that to communicate or because they're not yet prepared and able to manage their own emotions. And so back to the co-regulation piece, back to the making sure we don't view that with judgment. You know, I don't I don't think you're a bad parent because your child is behaving in a developmentally appropriate way. I, I'm going to I'm going to come as your ally. Um, and so so the list you kind of rattled off, is it going to make it worse for the kids? Are they going to throw a shoe at me? What are they going to say? We have found that if you offer support in a way that is really aligned with culture and trauma and neuroscience and and empathy and lack of judgment those things kind of fall away you know because you're not looking at it saying like oh is that bad enough should i call social services you're saying like 
hey, you got your hands full. Can I take your cart back to the grocery store? Or you got your hands full. Can I carry something for you? Or, oh, it's really hard to come to the grocery store during nap time. Um, you know, do you want me to, is there a way I can help? Like, there's there's so many things we can do to help each other that I think we've gotten out of the practice. And if you start training your eye a little bit more and just finding those opportunities, we just create communities that are supportive and healthy and can help each other in those hard hard times of, you know, parenting these little children. I love the examples because I'm sitting here thinking, yes, that's all great, but what do I do and how do I do it? And mm-hmm. obviously not one size fits all and you have to judge the situation that right. you're in. And oh, yeah. So we're not <laughs> saying yeah. everybody go out there and find any difficult situation and put yourself right in there. <laughs> obviously be aware of surroundings and danger and whatever yes. it might be. But yes. in those simpler mm-hmm. situations, it may just be that lending a hand. Can I help you? you know, like you said, bring the cart back to the store or put it in its place, like you have your hands full go. And I think for some of us, it's probably, we're able to do that better in a non-imposing way. I think, I feel like we're in a society now where you can't offer to help because so many bad things happen out there that you're afraid, will that person think I'm trying to harm them? And anyway, we could probably this is more right, your lane right. than mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people will have different things. Like we've had men in our trainings that say, I'm not going to offer to hold your child on an airplane, <laughs> you know, because that's not something that's that's comfortable to them. Me, on the other hand, I mean, I've got gray hair and I'm unassuming. And, I, you know, I, I like look for the people on airplanes that have screaming children because I'm like, oh, I get to sit next to a baby. You know, that's that's maybe how I would approach it. I'm also a goofball. So, you know, I've I've sung songs in grocery stores and done silly, ridiculous things. Um and, and I'd rather have the child look at me saying, mama, look at that crazy lady over there, than, you know, some of the alternatives, right? So if, if I can be the, the sort of the, the attention getter, then, then it stops the child from, from maybe escalating to a place where they might not. Now, other people might have a very different approach. And so in our training, we acknowledge all of that. And we spend a lot of time thinking about our own barriers, our own values, um, our own situations. You know, um, things happen at church different, differently than they may happen at the farmer's market or at a, at a you know, grocery store or wherever, at an amusement park where stress is high. Um, so we, we think through all of that. And, and as you said, we don't, we don't encourage anyone to, to launch themselves into danger. And yet, at the same time, small things can have a dramatic impact on on children and families. And we've talked to to adults who were mistreated as children, and they say, like, if one person, one person had said something, done something, reached out, like given me any indication that how I was treated was not okay, that would have made all the difference. And, and and it's little things like that sometimes I just scratch my head and think, why, what's preventing us from doing those very little things that signal to each other? I'm glad you're part of my community. You know, and I'm here to help. And I see you and I value you. I think the seeing you and you're valued, you're worth it, you're worthy, that's such a big challenge 
in our community society right now yeah just and it's like you said it's the little things i mean how many times have we had a day changed by somebody just saying i, I love your shoes or i love this <laughs> right? or i mean exactly exactly and yet we're so easy to to yeah. point out the negative or judge or do yeah. the side eye yet right. we're not easy to just throw out a compliment yeah we've we have barriers to how we engage with people and those are societal and those are personal and i just think sometimes if we examine the barriers they're just not as scary as we make them out to be and is that bringing these uh trainings to schools or to parenting organizations or yep. is that where you All go that. to that's where i go <laughs> that's where i go and there are simple solutions. You know, people will say, oh my gosh, you're right, I have no idea what to do um, when I see these kinds of situations in public. Um, and so it's really appealing to a lot of organizations who say, we pride ourselves on being a family-friendly place, um, and yet families here are kind of high stress. So we know that those are risk factors for what we call stress behaviors. And so how can we train people to support families in those kinds of situations? Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, here in St. Louis, we have the zoo, we have the science center, we have the magic house. Think beyond how many people go to Disney World and see, you know, the heat, right. the walking around, right. the lines, the sugar, the, you know, whatever it might be. Lack of sleep, the sun, the dehydration, the time change differences, all of that. Yes. Right. And, and how do you, can you then train people that? can yes. make the entire environment better just yes can you get on the phone can <gasps> you connect me <laughs> i absolutely agree with you and and it does happen like that you know and people i think are just now catching on that we know so much about the developing brain you know so when we're training people they learn like a two-year-old isn't being bad on purpose a two-year-old isn't pushing your buttons on purpose. That two-year-old is upset and doesn't have a way to communicate, mom, I'm feeling a little dehydrated right now. <laughs> you know, they're, they're communicating in the way they know. And we know a lot about the brain. We know a lot about the nervous system. And so as we're training people and parents are able to see, oh, this is what's going on. And then back to your vault, why is that so upsetting to me when my child is upset? Huh. Mm. And so once we figure out our own perspective on our child's emotional regulation, then we can start unpacking that and being more supportive to the child. Well, the emotions is a whole other topic. I right. feel like, you know, growing up, we were told you just didn't, you went out into the world with everything's perfect and you... So don't feel that way. Don't worry about that. You won't worry. You know, you're five now. You won't worry about that in two weeks because you'll totally forget. I mean, years ago, mm -hmm. I remember even using that on some of my kids. Like, I'm thinking I'm 40 something. I can't remember, you know, right. so don't worry right. about that. It's not a big deal. We need to. Yeah. And that's probably part of why even today, I don't think I we, we talk about angry, happy, um, sad. But there's a lot more emotions mm -hmm. there that those are probably the top. And right. if we get to right. those underneath to start solving and discussing, I don't know. And that emotional attunement with your child, with your spouse, with your friends, 
those are new skills for a lot of people and they're really important. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. And I think, gosh, I'm just sitting here going, okay, support, support, support. I need to remember support. So you're, you know, you're angry right now. Why? Because you didn't get enough sleep. Okay, how do we help you get to that sleep? And you're okay because it's understanding and support. Yes, and and if you understand that as a parent, I mean, icing on the cake. Because even though, yeah, they might not remember it. You know, there's there's a lot of research now on on polyvagal theory and what the amygdala remembers and where you encode early memories. And you might not consciously have a memory of something uncomfortable happening to you, but your body remembers those experiences. And so helping your child process, maybe they're okay, maybe they're not, and allowing your child to figure that out. You know, how are you feeling? And and let's sit with that emotion and let's let's see what happens and see what we can how we process that and how we let it how we let it go and run its course. Um, and that's a skill that, you know, I think we're all learning. And if we can learn that and teach our kids, then that gives them just like a superpower. Because as soon as you tell someone, don't think about that. Right, exactly. Don't think that, like, you know, the whole, don't think of the pink elephant. Well, that's what exactly. you're thinking of. Exactly. And now you assign shame to for thinking that way, Bingo. which makes it Bingo. harder to work through. Bingo, exactly. And that shame, that's... You know, that's probably one of the most <sighs> difficult emotions, you know, that, I mean, we all have thoughts that pop into our head. It's human nature to have scary thoughts, happy thoughts, um, embarrassing thoughts, lustful thoughts, whatever those thoughts are. Um, we can acknowledge that those are temporary, that those don't define us, that, that emotions and thoughts are these, you know, appearances in our consciousness and once we figure out what to do with them then we are we can make thoughtful choices you know we can breathe we can respond and all of those things I, appearances in our consciousness well that, I love i'm that. borrowing that language from a meditation guru of mine oh. but, <laughs> <laughs> but i like that notion you know that we can't control things and if we realize we can't control those things and those thoughts necessarily then we don't hold on to the shame when i think in that regard if you f see it as this is an appearance this is a part of a scene from a movie going by uh-huh it's yeah. less of oh, I am a bad person right. for those feelings exactly. versus that's just something that it will pass just like the movie keeps going mm -hmm. unless and even if you fall asleep like I do, it will keep going. <laughs> right, right. Just rewatch it. Um, or you've seen it once and you forget and then your family makes fun of you because you always forget what you watch and so you rewatch it. And then your family but, makes fun of you. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they do. They, exactly. Yeah. Um, that you think about it almost as that movie going by or that appearance in your mm -hmm. consciousness. See it feel it work through it and let it let go on to the next scene yeah right i'm getting therapy here I don't know, right you're now giving some therapy <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling good about this <laughs> well it, when we were preparing for this you had written something in preparation that i thought was so helpful you and something i struggled i think the world struggles with uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's it's good to talk through these things to say how can we learn and gr mm -hmm. and grow. The importance of listening to each other's stories and fears. The importance in the art of disagreement. Mm. I mean, to me, I think disagreement feels like 
the, a four-letter word. Oh, right. And we haven't been equipped right. with the skills to handle that yet. Mm -hmm. If we sit in silence, it's all still there. It's yep. probably just going to get worse yep. if we don't address it. <laughs> We're just entrenching ourselves in the disagreement with the side eye and the body language. <laughs> yeah. What do we do? Oh, that that's a big question. Um, I, I'm of the mind that um, we can only feel comfortable disagreeing with someone in a, in a kind way if we feel some element of psychological safety is the word that a lot of people use in being with that person. Um, and so when I'm teaching in, you know, I'm teaching a graduate level class, we play a lot. <laughs> and um, I know that sounds kind of silly, um, but we do a lot of work. It, it's like getting to know each other, but appreciating the the humanity of everyone and understanding in a very low stakes way that somebody's got your back that i can communicate you with you and collaborate with you um and i i know a bit about you and once i have that connection with you then i can maybe challenge you or i can accept a critique of my own ideas or i could share ways that i might think differently than you and Think how important that is. You know, when I talk to people in the C-suite and people who are running big companies, they want to hire associates who will challenge them. You know, innovation happens because we challenge the status quo, that we push the envelope, that we bring to light things that may not be working so well or great ideas that can happen differently. And so... I have to train the students in my in my courses how to do that. And that means they have to be engaged. That means they have to practice the skill. That means they have to feel safe enough, confident enough. And so we have to, I think, start creating spaces where that can happen in a in a maybe more playful way so that when the stakes are higher, they know what it feels like to be able to do that. It's a long-winded answer. Well, no, no, this is so great. We're teaching college students ages, and maybe there's some older going back to college, but let's just say 20-somethings. Yeah. Amazing. I'm not 20-something anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and most of the people I'm around, other than yeah, my kids exactly. and their, whatever, mm -hmm. that we're all older. Yeah. Are we a lost cause? What do we do? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, of course, there is the same kind of tools apply. So, so the the Weaverly company that I started, um, we do a lot of that. So, I just presented at a, a conference a couple of weeks ago, and someone said in the conference, um, "This is amazing because through like storytelling and play and these collaborative exercises you've designed, sort of intentionally, to help us become more collaborative and hone our leadership skills." Everybody came into this experience. We didn't know who was the boss's boss's boss and who was the new person who was hired six months ago. We just knew that we connected and we did that in a way that felt supportive and that felt 
encouraging that that we could make mistakes together we could take risks together we were listening so we were building on ideas uh we were navigating the hiccups that you threw at us and and at the end we're smiling we're laughing um and so no you're not a lost cause i think that it helps when organizations and companies embrace that spirit that we value innovation we want to hear these new ideas. We want to bring the spirit of, of divergent thinking into our work. And that means we have to create the space where that's incentivized and allowable, and that feels good to people. So maybe it's one for people out there, companies, leaders, uh -huh. building that environment right. that allows for safety and I don't know, challenging and exactly. asking the, the pushback questions. Two, if you're looking right. for your job, your careers, hopefully finding an environment that's like that, you know, it may be asking certain questions in the hiring. Mm, What's your mm -hmm. culture like? What are you like exactly. as a leader? How do you handle, you know, questions, innovation? Do you, right, right. Because leadership isn't about sort of doling out the power. <laughs> you know, it's about being vulnerable as a leader and empowering the, the, the people in your organization to bring their own gifts and their own uniquenesses and their full selves to the mission of your company. And I found that that, that play, the science of play in a well-designed, intentional way can help facilitate some of that dialogue that can be kind of clunky and cumbersome. Um, but really frees people up to feel part of a whole and that they can really truly bring that that those sets of experiences where there there is disagreement i like your your idea of a pushback question you know people need to be surrounded by others who will ask those push, pushback questions and and my field in public health generally if we don't ask those pushback questions we can do a lot of damage to the health of the people. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's never really a right answer. There's balancing the needs of all sorts of different groups, the, the needs of different sciences, you know? We have to think as a full system. And we have to bring people together who understands all the different pieces of the system and invite them, you know? Okay, so tell us what could go wrong here, you know? And, you know, we, we need the engineers building bridges to do the same thing. Right, find, poke holes, find the- Poke the holes, <gasps> right, exactly, exactly. So if I'm, an, if I'm just individual Cynthia, and I'm like, great, but I don't have a company who's gonna bring Weaverly mm -hmm, in, mm -hmm. or uh, I'm not in an organization that will have the uh, support over silence come in. Mm -hmm. How do I, are there books, are there trainings, are there things, other than maybe saying, I'm gonna go to SLU, and yeah, I'm gonna no. take all of your, all of I Nancy's know, classes. I don't know, talk Dr. to my Nancy. students, they <laughs> might not agree with you. <laughs> I'm gonna go back. I mean, are there mm -hmm. places out there that, again, if I wanted to learn and grow, and I'm not in an environment yet where that's being brought to me, uh -huh. where do I go? I Well, they're in St. Louis, there are great places to do that. Um, a lot of the skill sets sort of that we're talking about now come from improvisational theater. So, so um, improvisational theater is this wonderful 
um, has a wonderful history of listening and and sort of supporting your scene partner, letting your scene partner affect you, um, agreeing on a shared reality and building on that shared reality, the yes and of the theater. And it really cultivates a lot of the skills of support so that risk taking, I mean, who's gonna get up on a stage in front of a bunch of people and not have a script, you know? only the people who feel psychologically safe with their scene partners. And so the skills of the theater really help. We can take that into a variety of settings and, and it's really been shown, and there's a lot of empirical evidence about that. It's been shown to help with anxiety and depression and marriage and um, the medical models build a lot of improvisational theater into you know um, simulating patient experiences. And it's just, it's a, it's a really great tool um, and of course, for me, it really blends the science and the art, I think. Um, it's creative, and yet and yet, there are some things about it that are very theoretical and analytical that I appreciate. Um, and so there are, I encourage everybody to look into sort of their local um, community theaters and their local improvisational theaters. Uh, it's a great place to start that, that education. I'm so glad you brought up the improv, because I don't know if I had even gotten to that point yet. Again, there are so many great things that you have in your background and what are your what you're accomplishing. But the, you talk about the play, like just safe and good play, yes. uh -huh. which is also, I think, part of the improv. And in everything you said today, too, not only support for kids, but I feel like that overlaps business, marriages, <laughs> relationships parenting you name it yeah mm -hmm. they all intertwine yeah it's so it's so fascinating because i think the older i've gotten the more i realize that each of us has this story you know we we all have sort of how we got to where we are i mean i was born and raised in south charleston west virginia and so you know i eat green beans with bacon grease and i you know have i go to the regatta in the summer on the canal river and like there are there are things about my story you know when i went to we used to have these fall festivals where there's banjo picking and square dancing and that's my history and I overlay that, as everyone does, with their histories and their experiences. And I realize that there's a reason, you know, there's a reason that that it all sort of hangs together. You know, there's a reason like that the improv goes with the biostatistics and the the children goes with the with the improv and the programming goes with the entrepreneurialism. I really um, wish I had known earlier that I should accept and invite and not mask or or sort of hide away any of those sort of skill sets that that having each of those things gives me a position to do my work that now makes sense. And then just last month, I was like, you know what? When I was a kid, I used to teach aerobics, which may not surprise you, but uh, you know, like the old fashioned aerobics. You have a little bit of energy. Right, exactly. <laughs> like step aerobics and Jane Fonda and all that stuff. And I was like, why, do, why am I not doing that anymore? So I just went online. I got certified to teach aerobics again. I'm like throwing that into the mix. I'm like, why does aerobics, why does group fitness instruction make sense for me now? And so I'm reflecting on that thinking like, what what woman in their 50s goes back to, to do group fitness instruction? I'm like, okay, well, that's sort of like, 
community. It's about support. It's about knowing people's stories. It's about wellness. It's about helping moms navigate their children. It's a it's a platform for reaching groups of people. It's part improvisation. It's part public health. It's very designed to be bio-aligned and brain-supportive. I'm like, maybe that just made perfect sense, you know? And so I think we question ourselves a lot, like, what's my next step? Or what am I going to do? Or what's my career path look like? And I've just never been one to think like too many steps ahead, maybe. And I don't know if that's bad or good necessarily. But for me, it's a way to it's tying it all together, I guess. It sounds like (laughs) a bit of when you overthink things, you're probably then uh, stalled or stuck because you're just over, 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 over versus releasing and letting it flow. And it it comes to you in that state. I like that. I like that. Letting the oh. flow state happen so that I'm able to to put all those things together, I guess. But it goes back to when you were talking earlier, I think learning in these last few years and doing this podcast, I've learned so much. How do we, whatever wall we've built, because we feel like that aerobics or the banjo picking or, you know, whatever my things are yes. that we hide or we put aside in the vault and don't bring our full selves in every moment. It seems like what we've been taught and we've been doing yeah. are the exact opposite of what we mm-hmm. should be to bring the best energy and ourselves to the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that may be because we had a time in our lives that's hanging out in the vault where we did bring ourselves and maybe we weren't accepted or maybe the people around us didn't make us feel safe um maybe we haven't had the opportunities there are so many reasons why people don't bring their full selves um and so i i think as a leader and as a professor and as somebody who's sort of dappling with these side hustles if you will i i view that responsibility really seriously to sort of figure out what it is about people's stories that they can bring to the table. And so I have all these tools that I use to do that. And it it just feels really good. I was at this improv um, workshop I was doing and in the middle of the workshop, for some odd reason, I started singing a John Denver song. Which one, by the way, which Full out, Grandma's Feather Bed. I know all the words, by the way see the story about growing up in West Virginia. And and it's stuff like that that just acknowledges to me, here's my full self. You know, this is my story. Um, we're multidimensional people. And I want to be an example for the people in this, you know, conference or wherever that we don't have to tuck those little pieces away, that there are, there are pieces that can really be an asset to our story. I, we told, early on, a lot of these podcasts will say, well, what are you doing now and how'd you get there? What I find what you're doing and the idea of like researching and like, you know, coming up with all these cool new ways of thinking and doing and being and how did you land where you're at? Like, how do you, how do you go into school and say, well, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to create all these amazing things? Yeah, well, I, I, the short answer is I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. 
Support over mm-hmm. silence? I mean... Because I was they- in a pizza place and I was like, this can't stand. <laughs> like, like I saw it, I saw a need and, and I was compelled. And I think the same is true with lots of things. Like I, I, I now see teachers in schools that are struggling in a school environment. I see students in schools that have the highest levels of, of emotional distress that we've ever seen historically. And so I see a system, the school system, the educational system, that that is in huge need for... Um, support at the least and really rethinking um, at, at sort of the, the more extreme end. And so when I see things like that, I know I have tools that can support a solution from, you know, neuroscience to public health program development to listening to the teacher stories and the kids stories, understanding the theory that in order for a kid to be motivated, they have to have autonomy of their lives. They have to feel competent. They have to feel part of a collection. They have to feel like they belong somewhere. And I know that from the science. And so when I see the problem, I think like, let me go pull out my toolkit because I think I can help. And so that's sort of what motivates me. I think I, I, I just run around like a little with my little Santa pack and, and I, have, I have theory and science and art and, and I guess perspective now a little that, um, and also I'm okay to take the risk. You know, I'm okay to look silly. I'm okay to um, be vulnerable. I'm okay to understand that I don't have all the answers and to be very upfront about all of that. Um, And so I guess that's sort of what guides me now rather than a more strategic, like I think I'm gonna build a business. Well, I'll build a business if I need to do that to implement the solution. (laughs) Yeah, I wish we could just like timestamp everything you just said right there. That's an amazing tidbits for life, business, etc. What when you were talking earlier, remind me of something that you've said before, when you said they're they're in the system that there's Mm. these rules. And I have to read it because you put it more eloquently than I ever would have said it out loud. You're reading things is making me nervous. <laughs> no, this is so good. Look at my underlines and my stars. Oh, oh, and I okay. know my husband's going to, who's going to edit this, like, why did you do that? They don't know you're reading it, but let's just be vulnerable and let's be, be myself. Vulnerable. And right, this exactly. This is just who I am. So here you go. You get to see it. You said charting your own course that so many times we are looking for the right trail, the right path that maybe we, and maybe it's the way others have done it, that instead of doing that, if we just, you said bushwhacked up the mountain (laughs) in a fraction of the time, Mm -hmm. so you can break the rules, and did the rules ever really apply to you in the first place? That's profound, just the charting (laughs) your own, I really think it is because we're told in school for so many years, right? right? You sit in your desk, raise your hand Uh, when you want to speak, you know, don't be too loud, don't be too this, get straight A's. If you have a red mark, it's wrong. If you get in trouble, we're told the rules and we're good if we follow those rules and then we get out into the real world and the real world in business wants you to do almost the exact opposite. Isn't that really sad? Doesn't that make you sad to think about? Even as you were just saying it, I I just felt sad. 
and I, there's no blame there for the school system because it's it was built in a time where that all i think made sense now how do right. we shift from the way we've done something forever to this new untested way mm-hmm. of you know building kids into these adults to yeah i i get it right i don't have the answers <laughs> But maybe awareness and but I think sitting here thinking what you said yes. there, chart your yes. own course, the rules may not even have been built for you. And sometimes instead of finding somebody else's path and following their footsteps, you could have gotten to a much better place faster if you had just chopped the crap. Down. I feel like that was more profound than what I said. <laughs> what she said, I'll interview you next time and you can tell all the cool things. No, I, you, you said that really nicely. I, I mentor a lot of college kids um, as part of my you know, professor hat. And, and I hear them, like they think there's a rule book somewhere and we're just hiding it from them. Like, <laughs> Okay, if I major in biology and I want to go pre-med, what should my minor be? And to me, that's just the wrong question to ask. And there's been a lot of research about make it something different. Like they're saying, well, I love music so much. I just love music, but I couldn't minor in it. And I'm thinking, why couldn't you? You know, I mean, look at my portfolio of hodgepodge here's and there's and training and certificates and degrees, and they make no sense at all to anybody. Even people, like even myself, like I don't even know how to make a website for what I do because it's all over the place. And I've kind of stopped worrying about that (laughs) because I think, I don't know if it's a gender thing, but I think I hear a lot from women that it's important to them to, to do right by the system and and be like you were talking about compliance. You know, they've been trained to be compliant students and achieving students. Um, they haven't all the time been trained to be innovators and how to connect things that interest them. And so I view my job as a mentor and advisor to help make those connections. Why does music and biology make sense? Why does Chinese and entrepreneurialism make sense? Data science and sports make sense. It makes sense because they interest you and they're part of your story. It's you. You're the one who's going to introduce the characters, you know? You're going to say, okay, for the main character, I've got, for me, it was mathematics. I don't know why. I mean, literally, if you ask, why were you a math major? I was like, well, I just kind of kept taking math classes, and pretty soon, that was what I had enough credits to graduate with a major in. (laughs) Literally. Um, And that needed to make sense. And then then I was like, well, I need another character, because I don't really want to study mathematics. But I want to use mathematics to study human behavior. Now that's fascinating. And so I moved into this field of like psychometrics, which is like, how do you measure things that aren't really observable? Isn't that interesting? So I use my math, I use my behavioral science. And so I think when students realize they have permission, what character do I need now? What skill set do I want to develop? What, what gift can I bring to the table? And how can I sort of highlight that and feature that as part of who I am? Then, then their route up the mountain looks 
so different than anyone else's and it's how they distinguish who they are. And then here's the kicker. It makes them happier. It makes them able to move toward their own goals. It makes them able to align their work with their values, be autonomous, feel independent, feel part of something bigger than themselves. That's quality of life. And that's what we're aiming for. Uh, wow. I don't know. I didn't realize I was going to punctuate that. So, right. so uh, <laughs> it was perfect. It's funny how some of these themes sometimes overlap. And the woman we'd spoken to this morning talked, and I believe in this, is going into yourself. And when you are doing something you love and are passionate about, uh, you're going to be happy. And I'm sure in, in what you do and any team out there, right? Whether it's your kid in your athletics or you're on a business team, you need that diversity and skill and passion yeah. to be when you combine it's a much better elevated output absolutely absolutely and 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 we seek that out we seek complementary friends we we seek people with different skill sets that's sort of the transdisciplinary nature of of science, you know? You need somebody who's gonna analyze the data. You need somebody who's gonna talk to the people. You need the marketer who's gonna put it out there. You need all of those skills. And if you can be the marketer who can talk some data science, or you can be the musician who can talk marketing, it, it, it deepens the impact of the work and how satisfied people are with the final product, for sure. So again, going back to not being afraid to be yourself, and to bring your full self. So yeah. the masks, what you believe society has said you should or shouldn't be and what rules you should or shouldn't follow. Yeah. And maybe it's time for you just to yeah. get that big old, I don't know what you do with bushwhacking, but <laughs> machete out, yeah, what is that whatever thing? it right, is. Right. Yeah, I like that. And cut uh -huh. your own path yeah. to the top of the mountain to where you can really shine yeah. and throw out all of your skills as you kind of sounds fun to me all through a different metrics of improv and math and science and art <laughs> and black and white but the colors outside the box everything 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 i mean it's 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 scary to tell somebody in their 20s to do that though right because they see they see the metrics and they see the yardstick and they have to take a pretty big risk and trust themselves that being authentically who they are is going to attract opportunities and people toward them that value that. That's asking a lot of somebody who's sort of just starting out in their career. Um, but I hope if enough of us model that and, and sort of bring to light how these things overlap, um, we could maybe set a precedent for just the value of that. Because the flip side, the flip side is if if we are not able to bring our authentic selves to our work, the mismatch there creates all sorts of mental health strain and anxiety and masking. And that's, that's not a place where we want to be either. It's that friction, both mm -hmm. from emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, yes. that little bits yeah. Not so bad, but that friction over time. This sort of this chronic tension between yes. those sort of states of being. Yeah. Wow. 
mind blown. I'm, I'm sure there's a million things. I mean, you started these companies, you're a doctor, you're a professor, you're bringing all this amazing uh, knowledge and studies out into the world when you're not doing improv and having play. Um, and I think there was a part where you mentioned really you're helping businesses here. I like to think I help parents and businesses and students. And I think everything we spoke about today is helping just human, what is it? Moment of shared humanity, appreciate the humanity in each other. Uh, innovations, when we're challenging the status quo, we wanna hear ideas, appearances in our consciousness. I could try to wrap everything up but I think it was very profound and enlightening and we could go on and on and on. If people, one, you can go to SLU, take your courses. You could. The uh, support over silence, the Weaverly, who would be the type that would, who do you work with and how do they find you? Uh, supportoversilence.com. Uh, you can find me on Dr. Nancy Weaver at LinkedIn, probably the two best places. I started doing some silly TikToks a while back. Because here's the thing, when people want parenting information, you know where they go? They go to TikTok. <laughs> so <laughs> I started playing around with TikTok a little bit, but don't, don't, don't look closely. Um, so I say, uh, I mean, I'd love to hear from people through, through LinkedIn for sure. Great. And who knows? Maybe we'll see a rendition of John Denver. You know, we might, we might, uh, complete with <laughs> percussion. And uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Banjo picking. Well, if you if you get that together anytime soon, we can put a link on the show notes to oh, take you there. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that on my to do list. <laughs> I thank you for coming and sharing your story, your wisdom, your fun, your everything. I know people who listen to this will feel like a better version of themselves after they're done because I know I have and I know I'll be listening to this again so thank you so much for joining us today thank Nancy. you for having me this has been so fun quite delightful <laughs> this concludes another episode of the she lift project podcast to hear more episodes of the show subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.